Two-sided marketplaces are one of the hardest types of startup businesses to get going. But this week, we're speaking to Deb Morrison, the founder of PetCloud, who's actually made a success, and we'll cover the different ways she's been able to build a two-sided marketplace to the scale she has today. Welcome to Fractal Startup Marketing, the podcast for founders who are frustrated that potential customers do not understand or they undervalue their innovative business solutions. My name is Jared Doyle, and each episode I interview founders who openly discuss how they're tackling the seven P's of startup marketing. In true startup fashion, we aim to learn through collaboration and discussion. Let's get into the episode. Deb, thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Thanks for having me, Jared. Great. So let's get straight into your pitch. And just before we started recording, we were talking about the fact that I think I'd seen you pitch PetCloud twice. And it turns out that might have been the two times you publicly pitched it. So we're in for a bit of a treat here because this is this might be your third public pitch of PetCloud. I know you've pitched it a lot one-on-one. So no pressure, but if this is everyone's first time, we're in for a treat. So I'll let you pitch PetCloud to everyone who's listening today. Thanks. Well, we're an advanced stage startup. So we're about four years old now. So we're sort of the teenager that's growing up and we're at a really exciting time actually. And we're a basically a marketplace where it's two-sided and we help pet owners connect with vetted, screened and insured pet sitters. So yeah, that's what we do. Great. And whenever I, I get like a little bit of a shadow when I hear two-sided marketplace because I hear that in a pitch and, and so often you hear founders who go forward and it's like, oh, I'm going to build a marketplace and investors are like, oh God, I hate marketplaces. So <laughs> even that you're a teenager, you're about to turn into an adult. I'm curious, like, how have you made the two-sided model work for PetCloud where so many others have fallen over before you? Mm, well, I think I think it is a challenge and I think it is being able to connect with the Sydney startup scene. So there's a lot of conversations, I think, that happen across Facebook and through LinkedIn and then uh, webcam discussions. They're not necessarily people who you might see running around Brisbane or um, maybe like even speaking. They're people who have successfully launched two or three marketplace businesses before and they have so kindly spared some of their time to either give me men mentoring or give me a few tips on the side or put me in touch with some really vital people. And part of being able to stay around this long as a marketplace is some of our reporting. So we use Google Data Studio to do a lot of our reporting. And that means that the whole team can access the data that we need without all of these roadblocks and asking developers to run a query manually, stop what you're doing. You know, some Deb is having a meeting and she needs, you know, <laughs> how many bookings have we done this week compared to last week? You know, I think there is a, a time and a place when you need to cut costs when you're a little bit smaller. But as you're starting to grow, that information just needs to be on demand and it needs to be shared across the organization. Right. And so it also, in terms of our survival, I think having strategic partners really helps as well. So RSPCA Queensland have just been incredible to us. We have leveraged their call centre to provide our customer support, and we think it's a win-win situation. We're able to pay them fees for the services they provide us, and in turn, that's helping to pay for some of their operations and rescue work that they do. Great. And that's a great positioning thing for you going out to the market because there is no more trusted name in in pets than the RSPCA really in Australia. And so that's, I guess, yeah, like you said, win-win, you get access to, I guess, you know, a, a big base of 
pet loving, qualified, vetted people. And then on the on the other side, you get great utilization of that name as well. So fantastic. Yeah. And did you get that relationship really early on? Was it when you were still sort of MVP or did that sort of come about after you started to find a little bit of scale? So hmm, when did it come about? It was... We probably, it was when we had about 5,000 fans on Facebook. So a Facebook was the first one that I'd built up and we'd probably had maybe about 10,000 transactions on the site, maybe slightly less, but they were our first seed funding. And so we got connected through a mutual friend who worked there at the time and we just started having a series of coffee conversations and it turns out that they were looking for a solution to be able to reduce the rate of animal abandonment at holiday time. And since kennels were quite expensive, between 70 to $100 during peak season, like Christmas and Easter and things like that, every set of school holidays and Christmas holidays, the RSPCA would end up with a box of kittens or puppies at their door at like 5am before the staff would start. Oh. Or someone would see a box by the, abandoned by the side of the road and bring it in, noticing that there's, you know, actually some pets in there. And they wanted to partner with a cost-effective solution that was local but national as well, that also had, you know, a win-win for them in helping achieve one of their missions. So, you know, in terms of investors and seed investors, I mean, you couldn't ask for anything more. I mean, you know, they've got upside. They're not necessarily a customer, but they're, you know, in lockstep with you on your mission and what you're trying to achieve. And yes. at the same time, you get all the the branding. So, I mean, yeah. So, you know, getting back to that original thing, like how'd you get started? Where have you succeeded? I mean, that to me sounds like an absolute amazing win. You've, you know, there's so many synergies between what you're doing and the RSPCA. That sounds fantastic. So that's the big tip. If anyone's doing it, find a huge trusted institutional organization and not only partner with them, use them as a customer or use them to support you and get them to be a seed investor and you're done. That's it. So that's it, Deb. You've given everyone the tip. That's all they need to do. It's that simple. (laughs) It's so true. It is so true. They are very trusted, but I guess the thing as well that helped was the CEO at the time, who's now just changed to another CEO, but he has a very entrepreneurial mindset and has run businesses before taking on the RSPCA. And so that made it easy for us to work together. He could see the big picture. He knew that we had to run a series of workshops in order to get accreditation. And so we walked through with his staff some of the the trust and strategic things that we needed before we could get that sort of accreditation. And that's what's really important is someone to sort of almost be your innovation champion within the corporate organization to get the ball rolling, to introduce parties together. And yeah, to just find out how can we collaborate where it's a win-win situation. Right. So we've sort of touched a little bit here on, you spoke about, obviously there's, in terms of the problem that the pet cloud solves, and you touched on an extreme example, which is a box of kittens left behind, which is absolutely horrendous. However, mm. you know, I guess the core problem for most of your customers, and I don't know if this would be the case, is they're probably not considering leaving a box of kittens. It's more of a case of their beloved pet. Is the problem that they need to find somewhere to put the pet? Or is the problem that if they can't find somewhere for the pet to go, it limits their lives? Or is it a combination of both of those things? Yeah, it's a combination of both. So we have quite a problem in Australia where there's not not very many rental properties that are advertised as pet friendly. And it can make it difficult that if someone can no longer rent 
at a place, whether it's because they've had a relationship breakup or whether it's because the rental lease has ended or something like that, it can be challenging for pet owners to find other places to live at. And I guess we are that transitional place for people to assist with finding care for their pets while they're still looking for for suitable places. We can help them buy that bit more of extra time if they put their stuff in storage and keep hunting for a, a pet-friendly location. And also if they're, you know, they don't have family and friends that are overly fond of pets or just don't have a place that's suitable for pets, or maybe they have allergies to pets, or yeah, it can be a whole raft of reasons as to why someone's place might be unsuitable. But yeah, we, we provide that place and also just that cost, we're really cost efficient and we're not over the top with pricing. Right. So, okay. So I'm, I'm a pet owner. I'm a bit trapped because I need to go, oh, I want to go away for a holiday or I need to move house for some reason. I can't take the pet with me or they're not there. So I need a short term stop. And on the upper end, in terms of like, you know, the positioning or who you're competing against on the upper end, I've got expensive kennels like bespoke kennels, which is set up or, you know, kennels or catteries or whatever the equivalent is i don't know but holiday farms for dogs and cats when you go away which i can imagine is an expensive option and then you've got the free option which is relatives who maybe after the fourth or fifth time maybe start to wane or maybe they're mm-hmm. allergic is that how you sort of position you basically got the free option which is always a bit of a you know a bit of an ask and then you've got the paid option which is super expensive and kind of makes it impractical and i don't actually have a pet i think more oh, of it. not yet <laughs> uh, look i'm i am kind of in the market and well the kids are in the market well, that's the good thing about Pet Cloud because you can actually get paid to look after a pet. And we've got a, a pet jobs board where you can actually scan through having a look at all the, you can have a pot belly pig at your place. You can have an alpaca. Well, go and do house sitting for uh, a hobby farm. There's chooks, there's birds that need looking after. There's all sorts of things. And when you start scroll through, you're like, oh, that one's got curly legs. And look at that one. That one's wearing a bow tie. <laughs> and there's, there's, there's a whole other scenario. So I'm, I'm messing around in my head here going, all these problems that you solve. So you've got, okay, the scenarios you painted out, but you've just identified me and correctly pointed out that what I could do is try mm. to find some kind of, because I'm looking at these like poodle crosses. So find mm. a poodle cross over Christmas when the kids are at home and if we're not away on holidays where someone else wants to go mm. away, say, hey, we'll have them over here. We look after it. The kids get to show me that they're trustworthy. I get to see what it's like. Yep. Oh, that's a whole other market as well. I'm lo- As a marketer, I absolutely love this because now I'm like, oh, whole other market to go after. There's a whole new <laughs> persona of people that I can that you can target. So That's right. And there's like, for example, if you have a look at air hostesses, they all love pets. They go crazy crazy over pets however they have to travel heap so the times when they are home there might be the odd night at home or the odd weekend at home and they can take on a pet but they can't necessarily commit to a pet full time so and likewise with some other people if for example you're a pet owner and you want your family to look after your pet sometimes there's unspoken favors that have to be done in return like for example oh I looked after your dog well you can help me move house next month or (laughs) that sort of thing so (laughs) some people prefer an actual transaction where it takes place no one owes anyone any favors and yeah (laughs) right so from a promotional point of view like the the marketing you put behind this let's say you've identified that you've identified air hostesses which I think is a fantastically niche little Mm -hmm. audience 
do you actively go after them or do you position or do you sort of lay the example out and then they find you because they're desperate to find a caboodle for the weekend? <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> well, you can target them. We don't because we are absolutely flooded with more than enough sitters as it is. So we Oh, sorry. So so you've got more supply on the sitter side than you do demand from pet owners we they they're basically they're evening out at the moment but if you take like an uber model you can service Mm -hmm. say with 20 percent drivers 80 percent riders and it's a similar thing because when you think about it you're not riding you're not taking those rides all the time you might take a ride three times a year so a driver can service multiple people and that's the same with pet sitters and dog walkers they can have it's a one-to-many relationship so we don't necessarily have to target niches of of sitters but we would automatically get absolutely flooded with a lot of sitters applying to to be sitters with pet cloud we've got the largest network in australia which we've been able to achieve with minimal funds and it's not surprising really because i mean it's pets we're talking about it's a pretty awesome job to to do to look after pets and have furry company yeah, and I guess they're not full-time. It's not like it's a full-time job. Well, actually, I mean, I can ask you. My assumption would be that for most people, they're not looking to make it a full-time job. Therefore, actually, if there's no pets available at a particular point in time, that's not a problem, you know. But when there is, I guess that's how you're able to keep – because, you know, we're talking about marketplace and why marketplaces are hard. Typically, marketplaces are hard because you've got a chicken and egg. It. You're constantly trying to grow one side and the other, whereas conceptually, you could have someone who's willing to be a sitter, but only on very specific terms and specific breeds of dogs or cats or whatever it happens to be. So they might not get many gigs, but when they do, they're kind of happy to take it on board. Is that the way it plays out for you? Or are there people who are actually taking this as a full-time job now? No, there are people who are taking this as a full-time job. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you have different tiers of sitters, but typically, for example, your your average uni student might be quite casual and sporadic with taking on the odd job. Usually when it comes to them hearing about free beer nights at uni... <laughs> <laughs> They're pretty scarce, but when it you know when it comes to finding those full time sitters, it is typically your retiree who has their patch of land. They're settled down and they want to help their community, and they just absolutely love making people happy and helping people while they go on holidays and spending time with pets. So it's very much like Airbnb, where the top tier, top proportion of revenue that comes in through their marketplace is actually through those that top 10% tier of hosts. Right. Mm. And so, you know, we've used, we've spoken about Airbnb, we've spoken about Uber, you know, the, the big the big marketplaces out there. When you're pitching the business and, and trying to position and explain how this works, is it, do you find yourself always falling into that positioning strategy of saying, hey, it's like the Airbnb for pets? Is that is that kind of what happens by default? Are you trying to move away from that? Or is that just work every time for you if you position it like that? It works most of the time because people have heard of Airbnb, they've heard of the sharing economy. But also we're looking at evolving into an ecosystem where we can offer other services to pet owners to help manage their pet's life right from birth through to death. And we want to essentially help make responsible pet care easy. So right where we are, we're in the the pet sitting and dog walking space. And that's the easiest way, I guess, to communicate that we're like Airbnb for pets. But pretty much we're going to be a lot more things just working with our partners. 
Right. And in terms of, we, we spoke about the positioning, we spoke about the top end and the bottom end in terms of price and, you know, family and friends, and we've got bespoke kennels and, and farms and whatnot set up. In the space directly where you are, how do you, because there's a couple of other people or businesses around that purport to do pretty much exactly the same thing. So now, you know, you obviously want to avoid being squeezed on price and margin and profitability and commoditizing what you do, because the minute you commoditize animals, you know that they're going to suffer. So, that's not where we want to be. So how do you position what you do to make it different from the competitors that are out there and, and maintain margins and, and happy pets? Mm. So in terms of our partnership, we leverage the RSPCA's call center. So that gives us just radical transparency and accountability. And a lot of pen owners are actually really loving that level of transparency for a sharing economy business. And that's why we've been rated excellent by trust pilot and a lot of people through word of mouth, I mean, we're growing exponentially year on year by 50%. A typical e-commerce business might grow 5 or 10% organically every year, but organically we grow 50% year on year and we're actually going through some exponential growth at the moment. So word of mouth is a really powerful thing and I would much rather have a quality platform and have a really good reputation in the market where people want to have a return repeat experience rather than a shoddy, quick, high volume, once off, terrible experience, you know. Um, we're really, you know, we're not into making a quick buck. Yeah. And so let's let's dig into that a little bit there. So word of mouth is part of propagation and that's obviously working. Have you did you actively try to I guess, encourage or uh, facilitate word of mouth? Or is it something that just happened because you just focused on good product and service? We have consistently focused on good product and good service and the market is responding to that. So yeah, I mean, that's that's what's happening with our growth and it shows with our domain authority as well that a lot of people don't just bounce when they come to our website. They actually go there to make a transaction and they're specifically typing in our, our domain and URL. So yeah, in terms of what we're building and what we've built to date, it's extremely powerful. So we have worked hard and we've been intentional about that. And I credit our RSPCA partners for that as well. Yeah. And do you do, in terms of reputation management and seeing that, so obviously you get people who type in Pet Cloud directly, but you're also seeing, do you also sort of track your brand mentions? Because I would imagine pet owners are, I mean, it's a it's a diverse range. It's a huge group of people, but mm. I'm guessing there's dedic- there's lots of forums and groups and clubs and things. And are you able to sort of see the manifestation of your brand permeate through those? So it's all of a sudden you've got like, I don't know, a Kelvin Grove, you know, Labrador walking club. And next thing you know, you've got five signed up. Are there ways, yeah. have you been able to track how that's been happening? And because it's not exact science, right? But I'm just wondering, have you seen that it's forums or it's separate groups or is it is it more just friends? Well, I think these days it's le- less forums and more yeah. Facebook groups. <laughs> I think forums were probably big maybe 10 years ago. And I wish they were still big, but yeah, it tends to just be a lot of Facebook group and reviews and word of mouth and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. And if you, you haven't, there's no incentives for people referring customers that you haven't got a referral program or anything set up like that it's people are doing it because it's the best service is that right we do have a referral program okay but the referral fees that you can make is like ten dollars if someone actually goes and makes a booking so we do have that in place but i guess we've also done a lot of work in the 
the pet space to help make our platform safe. So, for example, we were on Sunrise talking about how we've introduced vet nurse badges so that, for example, if someone's got a diabetic pug or a dash hound with hip dysplasia or a Labrador with blindness, you haven't just got some random sitter who's put their hand up for to say, yeah, I can stick a needle in and give them injections or, yep, I can bandage them. Like we actually have checks on our platform where people have proven the accreditation that they've received and then we assign badges according to what we've verified. Then word has gotten out across particular breed groups where that ailment might be a common thing when that breed starts getting older and then word of mouth gets out and of course being on TV helps. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I'm guessing there's a, there's a halo effect there for those fringe cases and they're, they're fringe cases in so much as they don't occur all the time but when you go above and beyond Beyond, it sort of shows your willingness to deliver that and that's the moment where somebody who has a dog or a cat that actually doesn't have those requirements but knowing that that's provided I guess gives mm. you that sense that, that you really do care about it so yeah mm. makes makes a lot of sense and I I was just thinking about you know you were talking about other we're talking about you know promotional options so PR makes a lot of sense because pets are great for that right like a, a pet always looks good in a picture in a newspaper in a magazine <laughs> on tv that's so on radio but have you run pr yourself or have you used agencies or have you sort of worked through independent contractors or is it how, how have you tackled pr because i mean to get yourself on tv you're doing something right so i'm curious yeah. how you approached it yeah so in the early days we did a lot of just self pr work and, and just released press releases out on the wire and would pitch to different journalists and things like that these these days, once you know, since we've had a little bit of money, we tend to get involved with experienced freelancers who have already established relationships across different key industries that we're targeting. And that way, there is less time to pitch and warm someone up to an idea that you're working towards, or their key contact at that at that media place can allow them to pitch several different angles, and they might give you a choice of which one they'll go with, rather than just rejecting you on one angle that you've chosen and that's it. Yeah, PR is an interesting one. I'm seeing more and more that the independence, it's such a fragmented industry in Australia. There's so many small groups and independent consultants doing PR and it is such a relationship-based thing. I can actually, in a lot of marketing disciplines, I see the benefit in really long-term relationships and, and I do as well for PR, but in terms of just getting that coverage, there's nothing better than a fresh PR perspective to get you a different angle and get you more coverage. So mm, doing little yep. promotional bursts and having different people step in probably makes a lot of sense. And when you're a founder of a company too, I guess you're always slightly biased towards supporting the independent because although being an independent PR consultant isn't actually a startup, it's close. You know, there's some mm. solidarity between small businesses. So I can see that approach. I wanted to also just tap into, because you I mean, you spoke about domain authority, my ears pricked up. And I was just wondering, when I say domain authority, I, it comes from an SEO perspective. And so I just wondered whether when you spoke about domain authority, whether you were talking about that as a self-taught SEO expert or whether it was just a, a different type of, you were just using that language naturally. Oh, so, I mean, we talk about data and SEO and, and, you know, AdWords and things like that with our campaigns specialist all the time. I've been in digital for years. I'm no SEO expert, but I mean, I've got enough tools at my hands to be able to read when we're taking the lead on a, a particular word or term or, yeah, I can see what the traffic is doing. So I don't think these days you need to be an SEO expert to 
be able to get access to the tools that just tell you that straight away. No, no, you don't. And I think like a lot of disciplines, a lot of SEOs like to pretend it's way more complicated than it really needs to be because that's yeah. how they earn their fee. It's like, oh, it's very magical and I couldn't possibly tell you because it's hard. So, <laughs> But you sort of suggested there, so you've also, you've got someone who helps you out just on the technical stuff. And it's one of those ones, so you've got an expert, or I'm guessing you've got an expert in that sort of SEO paid search area who's there just to be good at that one particular area. And you've got a general knowledge, so you can sit across them and you go, I know what you're doing. I could probably work it out, but I'm far too busy and you can just dedicate yourself to them. Is that how you've got it set up at the moment? Yeah, that's right. So I think it's important to to allow people to specialise in the area that they're particularly good at and working with some of the industry's best people. You know, I really, I try and reach out to a lot of people who are, are doing well and who I notice across LinkedIn who are doing great things and have interesting websites or I read up about their story and go and contact them. So yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's an important part of, you know, keeping abreast of technology. Great. And the last thing for me is I always, you know, we spoke at the start about your startup being scale up, being a teenager. It's sort of, it's in that stage. I'm curious about at what point did you, or was it always the case that you started focusing on repeat customers and returning customers more than acquiring new? Because in my experience, often you start a business and it's complete, it has to be right. Your first customer is, you know, a new customer, but you're very focused on new. And at some point with businesses, they start to realize that churn becomes a bigger variable than acquisition. I'm wondering, Mm. was there a turning point? Point for you where you I'm assuming this is probably the case now where you're you're very much focused on getting people to come back is there a point mm. that you sort of reach where you went I'm now more focused around keeping people coming back and happy than I was that I am about attracting new customers or are you still sort of moving towards that space we do both yeah I think it's it's about retargeting your your existing customers and remaining front of mind and providing value not just being a pest <laughs> yeah. you know <laughs> But, but also providing other ways that can help or providing other information that might help them and their pet or strengthen the relationship with their pet. But yeah, I think at what point, I do think that that is part of the the secret of a, a healthy marketplace and one that grows is someone that, you know, a marketplace that puts customer experience and, and the customer first and builds that loyalty. And when you're a purpose-led business as well, you know, working so closely with our RSPCA partners as we do, I think people like to rally behind that purpose and that cause and like to feel a part of it. And they very much are. We couldn't do without some of the wonderful sitters on our platform. And I just get a a kick out of it every Friday night when I wind down, read through all the reviews. It sounds so corny, but I actually uh, get tears in my eyes because I I just think, well, you know, here I was a few years ago, actually having the problem myself. I couldn't find anyone who was responsible to look after my pets. I always was flying interstate. I didn't really know my neighbours. And to have something that's just absolutely grown and taken off where it's actually helping communities, it's giving also people extra income streams. It's also giving people purpose when they're in between jobs. And also, you know, people who are able to be another person's lifeline when they're going off and either going to a funeral or going into hospital and they're able to take care of that person's furry family member. 
So yeah, I, I love reading through the stories. As I hear you talk about that, you know, the, the strength of the business purpose is just, it comes through so thickly and you kind of say, for me, I just hear that and go, that's what makes a repeatable, scalable growing business is your passion, you know, your story about your situation having the same problem, but you haven't just created a solution to a problem. You've created something that's greater than just, it doesn't just sort of fix it. It's not like, oh, I need to put my dog somewhere. There, throw it over there. It's taken care of. You, you're really taking care mm. of the fur babies for people and, and making a difference. And I guess, you know, if that comes through in your your collateral, your mission, your customer service, everything that you do, that's that moat that becomes really hard for people to take away from you. Because look, anyone could copy the business. Technically, it's functional. I guess the difficult thing for to copy is the passion mm. and the purpose that you bring. And that, you know, just hearing you talk about it, that comes through loud and clear. And then of course, right from the mm. start, you know, that, that relationship you had with the or you have with the RSPCA, I think just heroes that up. So yeah, thank yeah you. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I love it because too many businesses start because people come up with some tech or an idea they don't get driven by a real passion so mm-hmm. when i hear people who are passionate about it and and i'm working with another pet-based business flea mail who does prescription flea and tick medication and it's interesting because the founder of that business was working at the rspca and he just kept dealing with dogs and cats that had perfectly preventable illnesses and, and it was just brought on by ticks mm. and fleas and so you just went I'm just going to send it in the mail and when it turns up that's when you give it and the, you know is that you just sort of go you believe in the business more because the person behind it has it so I can hear that with mm. you so I'm quietly confident that the 50% growth is going to continue for you so yeah thank you congratulations on the success so far if people want to join Pet Cloud, have a look around follow your journey connect with you or anything what are the, what are all the digital channels to find you and the business on. Yeah, so you can find us on LinkedIn and, and follow our company page on there. So if you just look up Pet Cloud, and we're also on facebook.com forward slash Pet Cloud, and also Instagram and Twitter. So we'd love people to get involved. And we're also capital raising at the moment. So if people out there would love to get involved in Pet Cloud, and you're passionate about making a difference, then we'd love to meet some impact investors. Great. Well, hopefully that happens for you. And I guess my job now is to start looking around and see whether or not we can be a pet sitter to a some kind of poodle cross for my kids. So this will be <laughs> this will be interesting. I, it had not occurred to me that we could have a trial run with yeah. as a sitter, and the kids could even make some. I'll keep the money, but they, they can they can earn it. I was so sure having this conversation that I had nothing to do with me. I don't own a pet. Like why would I? And then as soon as you said, it, I'm like man, you've totally boxed me into a persona and it works. So <laughs> well done. And yeah, I'll, I'll report back to you. When I, maybe, yeah, is there a tip? Sorry, I'm going to just add one more thing. What do I need to do to actually get a dog? Because I'm going to be disappointed. I'm guessing it's a, like a dating profile, isn't it? I've got to make myself look really pet friendly, don't I? Oh, yeah, yeah, you definitely do. So you've got to basically have a secure yard. That's number one. Yep. Your number one mission as a sitter is to not let that visiting dog escape. So so you have to make it escape proof, patch up all those holes, pick up any nuts and berries and things like that. But if you don't have a backyard, just make sure that your internal part to your house is you know, hazard free. There's no wires and cords and things that can be chewed. And then just make it a safe, comfortable place where they can play and rest and things like that. And we've got an online learning course that we've worked with our RSPCA friends to create. And we've also got a police check platform as well that basically you upload some photos 
photos for your listing and write about the services that you'd like to offer and select those ones. And then basically after you've done the training, you've been all verified, then your listing is ready to go live and you can start looking at our pet jobs board. I I love that you've got all that in place before I can get a listing up there. So it's not like I can be live in five minutes with a casual, you know, I should do some pet sitting. You've actually stayed true to your mission and said, well, there's some hoops to jump through first, Jared. And secondly, here's some resources to help you get better at it. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. You're mission focused and purpose driven through and through. Deb, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it. My kids say thank you for the potential of having a dog over this Christmas break. (laughs) I look forward to helping them out. There's so, so many to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.